0: Hey guys, welcome back to Research Unpacked from Informed Performance. I'm Ali McKenzie, a sports physiotherapist from the UK. In our Research Unpacked episodes, we look to bring you short and sharp research reviews from a variety of researchers to help you stay up to date with relevant research in sports performance and medicine. On today's episode, I'm happy to bring you the third and final episode in the three-part series with Dr. Andreas Heggi. Over the last two episodes, Andreas and myself have been discussing in great depth his research around regional muscle activation in the hamstrings during a variety of different exercises, with some excellent clinical implications and perspectives towards injury prevention and sports performance. If you haven't already, I urge you to listen back to parts one and two with Andreas as they provide the background leading up to today's paper, which is all about Nordics.
1: This episode of the Informed Performance Podcast has been sponsored by Vol Performance,
0: Makers of the Force Frame.
1: Used by health and performance professionals for assessing and improving performance and rehabilitation, the Force Frame is a powerful solution for quickly and accurately testing isometric strength and imbalances. In addition to testing athletes, the Force Frame is also used to maintain and improve strength, offering over 130 isometric training protocols. As a portable and easy to use system, the Force Frame is designed to ensure every measurement can be accurately and reliably measured time after time again. To learn more about the Force Frame, visit our sponsor, volperformance.com. But for now, here's the episode with Alistair and Andreas Hegge.
0: Okay, Andreas, thanks for coming back on for, for part three and and discussing the final paper uh, in this series, which is all things Nordics. Uh, a hot topic has been for a while, especially regarding injury prevention. Um, so I'm really looking forward to hearing you talk about this paper in depth. So yeah, how, how did this paper come into existence, mate? Yeah, so the idea was to, to go a little deeper into Nordic
1: hamstring exercise. It's definitely a great starting point because we see uh, many papers showing that the, the injury risk decreases quite a lot uh, after a Nordic hamstring exercise intervention. But there are also some, some criticizing, like criti- criticizing voices <laughs> towards Nordic hamstring exercise. So basically one is that uh, the operating length of the hamstrings is relatively short in the Nordic hamstring exercise. And there are some studies which show that if, y- if you uh, apply exercises at longer muscle length, that can actually be more advantageous for injury prevention. So that's, that's uh, one, one problem that uh, we usually hear. And the other is that uh, mechanically we see lots of differences in how people perform Nordic hamstring exercise. And here I think about hip position, for example. So the instruction usually is that you, you extend your hip while performing the exercise. But in practice, what we see many times is that there is a considerable hip flexion for some athletes, and for others, it's relatively more extended. So there was just a study like a week ago came out, and it showed that uh, like the the range between uh, individuals was like zero to forty five degrees in in thigh to to trunk angle. So it's highly individual uh, how much you flex your hip. And it's hard to say if it's robust between sessions. So if you have an athlete and you want to follow up the athlete, then uh, you don't know, there is not much data on that. So we don't know if the athlete will perform the same way the exercise. And this might affect the, the outcome you measure. And another problem is that, uh, the the knee range of motion is usually not controlled, or at least below, we put a lot of load on the athlete uh, so that the athlete cannot perform the exercise in the full range of motion, but we focus on uh, an eccentric overload on the hamstrings rather than doing the exercise in the full range of motion, which might be a good idea from one perspective, but the other part is that the the, uh, the intramuscular distribution may change with the with uh, range of motion, as we see from studies using dynamometer. So, and, and just another point that we wanted to target is to see if, uh, if we have similar outcomes af- based on like torque and EMG in a bilateral and unilateral Nordic hamstring exercise.
0: Yeah, they're all interesting points and, and show the complexity associated with the application of the Nordic, um, especially around technique and, and standards of technique, which with a lot of data around injury prevention being longitudinal, you can kind of see how these factors may relate to, to the variety in data around its effectiveness in injury prevention and some of the, the challenges around uh, longitudinal and interventional studies. But in this study, you looked purely observationally, to to infer some of the potential mechanistic responses uh, to different variations of the exercise. And so wh- which variations did you look at? So basically, we had four different uh, uh, Nordic hamstring exercise
1: modes. One is uh, uh, Nordic hamstring exercise with extended hips bilaterally. Then another one is Nordic hamstring exercise with extended hips unilaterally. So it was performed only with one leg. And uh, then these two were also performed with hips flexed to 90 degrees. To do this, we, we used a novel uh, load cell device called the HamTech. So it allows you to have more control over the hip angle. And basically, for, to have more control in the knee range of motion, we used elastic bands although this uh, machine also has like a pneumatic system to 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 like decrease the load. But we used the elastic bands. And basically what was uh, a step forward from the previous study is that we matched the relative load as well, but we went up to eccentric one repetition maximum. So it was the highest load they could do for the full range of motion, which I should mention, it was not full because we ended at fifteen degrees of knee flexion uh, at a five-second pace. So we also matched the, the pace of the movement, and we measured basically the, the force at the ankles, just like in other Nordic hamstring devices, uh, and uh, and we. We also measured the activation of the muscles with high-density EMG from the biceps, Morris, and semitendinosus muscles, just like in the previous studies.
0: Yeah, cool. It's it's clear that you, you've to me that you've tried to account for some of the the issues outlined, um, and it sounds like you tried to to replicate what what the conventional Nordic hamstring exercise was designed to be, and or, or certainly what's attempted to be in application being super maximal eccentric only one rep max or full and near full range of movement at the knee and a controlled tempo and hip angle um then then with the added variations of the 90 degree hip to to see what the difference is in outcomes between longer and shorter muscle lengths at at similar loads right uh yes you could say so (laughs) so so for me, I guess my first question was was around um the Nordic hamstring at, at 90 degrees or the NHE 90. Um you said that you were able to match the relative load using the Hamtech um to a one rep max. So so did you have to add more load to this one as you lose some of the moment arm compared to the the extended hip variations?
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. So we, with, the, with the NAG90, or when the hips were flexed to 90 degrees, we had quite a lot of, of uh, plates. Uh, so we could fix these uh, weight plates on the frame of the device. So the subjects didn't need to hold the device. It was placed on the frame of the... Of the or they didn't need to hold the weights. It was placed on the, on the frame of the device. But it was much higher than in the NAGO, so when the, the hips were extended, because of the, the lower moment arm in NAG90.
0: Yeah, and that's interesting because you mentioned earlier that there's a large, or there's been a recorded, a large variance in hip angle um, between individuals associated with the technique, which, which may be associated with strength levels, as some, some athletes potentially have to compensate by, by flexing the hip. Um, during the exercise to shorten the moment arm and therefore reduce the demands of the exercise yeah exactly so you can go to a more
1: extended knee position if you if you flex your hip because of this uh, moment arm uh, decrease in moment arm and that's what we see many times
0: yeah so let's let's jump into what some of your findings were then mate and i guess with the with the addition of of torque or measuring torque should we start there Sure, so with the torque, uh we
1: found a larger torque in the n a g ninety, so when the head, hips were flexed to ninety degrees, the torque was much larger, especially in the first half of the movement. so uh from the start to eighty seven percent of the movement, and then around peak torque, so close to extended knee position. It was quite similar between the two exercises, but it's again important to mention that the, the relative load was matched, so we had much more weight on the frame when the hips were flexed, and this was the way this was the only way to reach the same peak torque. But when you have when you perform the exercise with uh, with uh, body weight only, as we mentioned before, the torque will be lower when you flex your hip. At the same knee position, at least,
0: yeah, and that's an important point, I guess, to interpret these findings and apply them clinically. Um, you should consider external adding external load if you 're going to try and perform the Nordic with a with a hip flexion at ninety to to get these higher torque values, um, which are a compensation of the reduced moment arm, so Maybe hypothetically, if an athlete struggling to maintain extended hip angle but can perform multiple reps, I may give them some additional load to, to increase the the demands of the exercise and subsequent adaptations. So, what about the uh, difference between bilateral and, and unilateral? Uh, so, it was
1: quite similar um, between bilateral and unilateral uh, NAGO when we when we performed with extended hip there was a small difference in the mid region of the muscle but uh, it it was not evident in in muscle activation and it was quite a small difference so overall what i can say is that we we probably gain or it's probably quite the same for the hamstrings to perform unilaterally or bilaterally but it's it's still interesting. After, for example, if you have a hamstring injury and you you have large imbalance between the the legs, then it might be interesting to target the the injured side. Otherwise, you compensate with the with the other leg.
0: Yeah, so so fairly similar uh, muscle activation and torque patterns between the bilateral and unilateral. Um, I've got to say I, I've never seen a, a unilateral nordic performed not on instagram or or in my practice um i've certainly seen a lot of single leg glute ham raises and 45 degree raises and stuff like that performed with regards to hamstrings but never a single leg nordic so i might have to give that a try try next time i'm in the gym um before i before i give it to any of the lads but um on that just briefly i know you you, you went through quite a rigorous familiarization period with these guys because a nordic hamstring exercise is difficult as it is um let alone these variations let alone a true one rep max supramaxable eccentric load so that was a really important component of your of your research right yeah
1: exactly so we had six sessions to get familiar with the with these exercises which was quite uh important for us because even though we performed this exercise on this, uh, on this device, which helps you to extend your hip in the, in the NAGO, uh, it's, it was still difficult for, for some of the athletes and they actually had to learn how to perform the exercise with focusing on, on a, a, a hip extension effort during the, the, uh, Nordic hamstring exercise so uh that was the main reason why we we really wanted a a proper familiarization
0: yeah and that that resonates with me clinically um you know applying the nordics to groups they have to have a good history or or be familiar with the exercise to execute it it's not just a case of you know adding some nordics in if they've never done it before um they're going to really struggle so with, with my cohorts you know we we have quite a few variations and, and progressions before you get to a full body weight Nordic, because um, we want the technique there. Um So like you're saying with, with, with the knee f- hip flexion angle might be an interesting way to offload them a little bit to get used to demand. And then you can go for a familiarization of that and slowly um, progress them through. So I've certainly, when you, when reading this and discussing it with you, uh, there's some little Clinical things that are triggering in my head there, how I can apply this information. So it's really useful. Um, yeah, so that that was brilliant. And then and the next bit, I guess, was was the EMG, the muscle activity. So so, what kind of things did you observe there? Yeah, so
1: as I mentioned, between bilateral and unilateral, we found no differences. But uh, between the Nago and Nag ninety, there were quite large differences, especially in the second half of the movement. So when we performed with extended hip, then the activation was much higher than when we performed with flexed hip position. So basically when we combine the results from torque and EMG, we can see that basically the the ratio between torque and EMG is much higher in the NAG 90. So when you flex your hips to 90 degrees, then when you perform the exercise with extended hip. there might be two reasons why this happens. One, of course, there might be other muscles contributing to the two tasks. That's uh, that's one uh, we should mention because you measured only two muscles, basically. But uh, it is very likely that you also load your, the passive structures a bit more when you flex your hip to 90 degrees. And it is also possible that the the fascicles work more eccentrically in this exercise than in the tra- traditional Nordic hamstring exercise. So there is a recent study which measured fascicle behavior in the biceps femoris uh, using ultrasonography during the Nordic hamstring exercise performed with extended hips. And what they found is that uh, the, uh, the fascicles work eccentrically only around peak torque and before that it was more like isometric so uh, it may be that uh, that we have more eccentric work in the nag 90 which might be interesting from uh, from an injury prevention perspective uh because usually we we want some eccentric load on the hamstring to increase fascicle length potentially at sarcomeres in series and then uh, the muscle can absorb more energy in the late swing phase of sprinting.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting and some some good key points there to underline some of the potential mechanisms contri- contributing to that change. So the Nordic at 90 produces more torque but less muscle activation, uh, potentially due to the role of other muscles like the adductor um, or the semi-mem, um, but also potentially due to contraction dynamics. So working at longer fascicle lengths um, and I'm just imagining the force length curve at the moment with, with the contribution of more passive or non-contractile structures as the fascicle length increases things like tendon fascia may be influenced um, in contributing force um, and then yeah from a clinical perspective we can potentially assume that the the hip flexion angle creates more of an eccentric orientated fascicle load um which we then use as our kind of guideline to to stimulate more of anatomical adaptation at, at that level which, which may be important with regards to preventing injuries injuries um during sprinting and it's really interesting that you you bring up um other research that that looks at the behavior of fascicles um, during the nordic and I'll, I'll have to get that um reference from you for and, and put it on the show notes for our listeners but if we're moving on with this study um, we've we've discussed overall muscle activity what about between muscle or between muscle and regional activity
1: so in the nordic hamstring exercise performed with 90 degrees hip flexion we had higher activation in the semitendinosus than in the biceps moris in the whole range of motion but when we had the hips extended. Uh, then we had a more equal distribution between the muscles when we compared, like we averaged the whole uh, range of motion. But what was also interesting is that the actual, the the intermuscular distribution actually changed through the range of motion. So uh, using statistical parametric mapping, we took advantage of the high temporal resolution of the EMG signal. So we could compare the early phase to the late phase of the exercise, and we found higher activation in the semitendinosus than in the biceps femoris in the early phase, so close to a, a flexed knee position. Uh, but in close to an extended position, we had higher activation in the biceps femoris than in the semitendinosus muscle. So when we compare these two previous studies, Uh, Although we have some contradictory results, most of the studies show that the activation is higher in the semitendinosus than in the biceps is in the Nordic hamstring exercise. This is what is generally accepted, but this is not exactly what we see here. So one reason might be is that here we have almost full range of motion, and in most other studies the load is maximal, so the, the athletes cannot go close to knee extension where the biceps femoris would be activated uh, relatively more. Uh, this might be one reason. And the other is that, as we mentioned before, we had a, a lots of familiarization sessions to, to extend the hip to focus on a hip extension effort uh, in the Nordic hamstring exercise. And uh, there is an interesting review from from Matt Bourne, who summarized some of the MRI studies, functional MRI studies, and he showed that uh, if you have a hip extension, then it may favor biceps femoris as compared to knee flexion. So it may be that this hip extension effort also brings biceps femoris more into this uh, movement. And uh, also in our recent study, we confirmed that if you have a combined knee flexion and hip extension, as compared to knee flexion only, uh, then you have higher activation in the biceps moris muscle, but not in the semitendinosus muscle.
0: Yeah, it, uh, really interesting. and. and... What he's, what he's saying is really that technique matters um as it as it influences the muscle activation and if we want to target the biceps femoris, which is a common goal in injury prevention and and rehab as it's the most injured site i need to progress or or at least you know work and progress work on progressing to a nordic for a full range of motion with an added hip extension effort um, to increase the likelihood of targeting that, targeting that specific area um, but also the intent and coaching of the Nordic is really important and there's lots of barriers associated with that uh, especially in football that have been discussed in the research being a super maximal exercise associated with more muscle soreness um, and like you said the individual uh, between session variation of, of the execution of the task so yeah for me it's just highlighting a lot of complexity associated with the application of this exercise and it's not as simple as applying nordics will reduce hamstring injury risk which is which is the common theme as discussed and it's that's being challenged so the more uh specific or concise we get with the definition and the execution of a nordic maybe it will help with the research and and so on and so forth yeah that's exactly right if you if you want to like
1: preferentially target biceps and but uh, again, it's, uh, it's uh, cross-sectional and uh, we always need to keep this in mind that it sounds very sexy, but we really need the, the intervention studies to, to understand what is clinically meaningful here. And uh, also, I should mention that these between muscle differences were relatively small, even though statistically significant. So it was quite uh, restricted to small range of motion at the end and the beginning. Uh, so we definitely need uh, some replication studies uh, to eliminate type one errors. But uh, actually there was one study published uh, very recently uh, from Aurelie Boyer, and they also found the same so that the the distribution of activation changes similar way in this uh, like in in our study and also this is what we see from from studies on dynamometer so there are a couple of, uh, of studies now supporting this idea
0: yeah and like i said like one of the one of the main reasons i wanted to start this this research unpacked episode is to get the narratives and the views straight from the authors um because you certainly highlighted a lot of Really excellent key points around the research and some of the areas for future research, which again is what what good researchers do. They just create more questions, more problems to be answered so th- thanks for that andres
1: yeah, yeah, well, everyone believes that we scientists answer questions, but we actually create problems and questions more like answering them
0: yeah well you're you're definitely doing your bit mate. <laughs> yeah i'm quite good at like doing lots of mess around me <laughs> <laughs> yeah i won't disagree um andres i've thoroughly enjoyed our conversations and thank you so much for taking your time out of your busy schedule to to discuss your work uh, i've learned a lot and i'm sure our listeners have as well i hope you've enjoyed it um but where can where can people find you to stay up to date with your postdoctoral research um, because i know you've got a lot of great publications to come
1: well, email is probably the, the easiest uh, to reach me nowadays. Uh, I'm also on Twitter. So you can follow me there, even though I'm not super active these days. But uh, but I try to post some of the, the stuff we are doing. And uh, you can also find me on ResearchGate. Uh, also on LinkedIn, but I'm not using LinkedIn a lot, so it's not the safest way to contact me.
0: Fantastic, mate. Uh, Thanks again for coming on. um, And and hopefully I'll get you back on the show again when you've um, created some more problems for us to to think about, Me.
1: Yeah, thank you for the opportunity.
0: Guys, that's it for part three with Andreas Hege. I hope you've enjoyed our first series of Research Unpacked um please leave any feedback on social media linkedin twitter or instagram it would be greatly appreciated and please stay in touch for our next episodes where we have tim McGrath, um, an australian physio who's going to discuss a whole lot around acl reconstruction and acl rehab so stay tuned for that and thanks for listening